Hello again, listeners. Welcome to the fifth and final episode of Making City Planning Work in India, a series of discussions with Dr. Bimal Patel, architect and urbanist, who has contributed to these domains as a practitioner, change maker, and educationist. We started the series describing the paradigm shift that is needed to make city planning work in India, then unpacked this paradigm shift and elaborated its components over three more episodes. In this concluding episode, we bring you our discussion on how to make implementable plans. Hi, Bimal. Welcome to the final episode of our podcast. Hi, Bala. I'm glad to be here. So today, to begin with, I wanted to acknowledge the distance that urban planning practice in India has covered You know, since when you first hired me in 1995 to help you organize a workshop on street design in Ahmedabad with your guru, Alan Jacobs, as the key facilitator. You were designing CG Road at that time. I was a year out of planning school where I was pretty much told in no uncertain terms that if I wanted to do real city planning, I should join the government, but not expect to see any of my plans implemented. And the alternative was to join an NGO and you know do, do some meaningful work on the ground. And I tried that and I didn't like it. And then I met you and you explained to me what you were planning for CG Road and how the project was going to be financed. And you did it. And since then, there have been so many convincing examples of how to make plans implementable, including many that you have been personally involved in. But still, here we are, 25 years later, discussing how to make implementable plans. So here's my first question. Why are Indian planners still in this space where they think that their plans will never be implemented? That's true, Bala. Uh, uh, we've covered a lot of distance uh, since uh, since we met first. Uh, many experiments have been tried, uh, and you can find examples of implemented plans, projects. Uh, we've been involved together on some of these projects and plans that have actually worked and have been implemented. Uh, but as a rule, most plans in India, when you go to most cities in India, we started out by saying they all have plans, but these plans remain unimplemented. Uh, you know, there are plans which show streets, uh, where they show streets, the land has not been acquired, the streets have not been built, where they show reservations, the plots have not been acquired, no infrastructure has been built to top off, and the rules and regulations of the plan are by and large ignored by people. And cities are growing haphazardly uh, without any, without complying to the plan that is put in place. So the legal plan has no meaning. And most planners, you're right, believe that their plans uh, are not meant to be implemented or will never be implemented hmm. or cannot be implemented, which is kind of, but you know what is worse? Uh, what is worse is that if you, you know, I did this, not accept, but I did this long time ago. Uh, at a gathering of uh, national students of planning, um, I think about seven, eight, maybe 10 years ago, okay. uh, the gathering was at SEPT. And there was, I think, three or 400 students in the audience. And I asked them, I said, how many of you believe that the plans that you will make will be implemented? And I don't think you'll be surprised. Most people said, no, they don't want to. Uh, they don't think that their plans will ever be implemented. 
That's and sad. then when I asked them, I asked them what the reason was for the same, uh, for, for why they thought the plants were not going to grow. And uh, Pat gave the reply. He says, sir, it's, uh, it's politics. Uh, uh, politicians will interfere with our plans and uh, it's the lack of resources. Uh, there's no money to implement our plans. We don't expect there'll be money. So plans are not meant to be implemented. This is really very, very sad. Because if there are young planners who are going out into the profession and already believe that politics and the lack of resources is going to uh, uh, you know, study them, then the, the, the battle is lost. And, and I think I said to you earlier that I asked them, I asked these students, I said, listen, this is, this is, this is crazy. Uh, don't you think they have excuses that you're making? And I said, no, they're not excuses, they're very real. I said, but you know, it sounds to me uh, like, a, 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 like if you went to an aer aeronautical school and you asked a student who was making a model of an airplane, uh, um, why uh, do you think your plane is going to fly after that? I mean, are, is this model going to be? And he tells you, Pat comes a reply and he says, listen, I, I don't think this plane is ever going to fly. I said, why? why? Why then are you making this model? Hey. Um, you know, plane, why are you designing a plane if the plane is never going to fly? And, you know, if he replies and if he tells you, he says, sir, gravity, gravity. We never fly because of gravity. You know? <laughs> this is ridiculous. I said, this is, this is not going to, this is never, <laughs> this, is, this is ridiculous. It, it's precisely to defy gravity that you are supposed to design a plan. And I say the same to those students. I say, it's precisely... You, know, you can't wish away politics. You can't wish away the lack of resources. It is precisely uh, uh, um, because there is politics, uh, uh, because all, uh, you, know, you have to deal with politics and because you have to deal with the lack of resources that planners are needed. It is precisely that which you must learn. And you cannot just give an excuse, there's no politics and there is no there is politics and therefore my plans are not implemented or you cannot say uh, there's lack of resources. So, uh, so you've got to learn how to work against these forces. And that, that's, what I, that's what I keep telling them. If you want to make implementable plans, okay. figure out how you're going to deal with politics uh, that uh, the plan is going to generate and figure out how you're going to raise the resources to implement your plan. That, that's what I tell them all the time. Right. So, you, know, you mentioned politics. So, can we talk about politics? You have worked with political leaders and bureaucrats of many shades. I have too. And to my mind, planning is a political process and a plan that is not grounded in political reality is unlikely to make any progress. Why does the political system... Anyway, but, you know, I, I cannot completely refute what the students feel because, you know, they see, you know, plans and politics, uh, you know, colliding. So why does the political system sometimes oppose and more often simply ignore the plans that planners make? Um, you know, uh, there, there's a there's number of issues that this, uh, this question of politics raises. And, and, and let me take one at a time. Politics really is the adjustment and accommodation that people make with each other uh, um, based on their own, their own interests. So groups of people, they sort of make accommodations, adjustments based on what they see is in their interest. And that's politics. Uh, you know, in, in, a, in, in, a, in a dictatorship, there's no politics. Uh, there's a dictator and uh, uh, um, 
the, in, the individual interests of different groups of people simply does not matter. The, in, the, the, the interests of individuals don't matter. Uh, it's only something that decide, gets decided right at the top that gets totally implemented. So if you, if, if you have a dictatorship, you don't have politics. If you have a democracy, you have politics. Politics and democracy go hand in hand. Uh, democracy is about allowing people to express what their interests are and then allowing them to accommodate and adjust those interests based on some, some process that is uh, established, based on, on, on discussions and negotiations uh, between right. people. And politicians are the people who help this accommodation and adjustment to take place. Uh, so you can't wish away, in, in a democracy, you can't wish away, I mean, democracy is about politics. The alternative is a dictatorship uh, where nobody's interests are to be taken into account except whatever is thought about thought to be right for the group at the top. Uh, and if you have democracy, you will have different groups represented by different politicians and they are going to you know, try to look for power uh, and uh, uh, to, to, to sort of find out how they can be in decision-making positions. And then, well, good politicians, uh, uh, good politics is about helping, despite the fact that we all have different interests and conflicting interests very often, to make the whole thing stumble along. I mean, that's what politics is about. And, and planners, if anything, are people who are going to make this process function better. Uh, you know, what you are is you are te technical support to politicians in a sense to help the adjustment and accommodation process. That's the only way. And, and, and in the process, you want to see that the public interest is served. It's not just individual interests is served, but the planners sort of represent the future generation, they represent the public interest as a whole, and they help this process along. So, so working with politicians is absolutely part and parcel of working with, uh, working on planning. Uh, to me, the two just simply cannot be uh, separate. Right. But now starts the problem. Uh, as soon as you make a plan, you see, as soon as you make a plan, let, let, let's say you, you pulled out a plan for a, for a uh, you know, you, 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 you made a drawing of a city and then you made a plan and you said, here's going to be the roads, here's going to be the future expansion, here's going to be the parks and gardens, here's going to be the, the sewage treatment plant and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you are, you know, in space, you're going to distribute activities. And as soon as you do make a plan, uh, all the people, in that plan are going to be unequally affected. Yeah. You know, for example, where you want to put a park, all the people uh, who own land in the place where you're going to put the park are going to be happy because they're going to have a park in there. Wherever you put the sewage treatment plant, they're going to say, listen, I'm, I'm, this is not very good. We don't want a sewage treatment plant in right. Uh, you're going to put a street somewhere, you're going to say, listen, I'm going to make a public right of way here. The people whose land is below the road that you've drawn below the street that you're drawn, are going to say, listen, what you what you're talking about? Yeah. Uh, you know, you are talking about taking away my land to serve a public purpose, but what about me? I'm unfairly treated. I'm not going to pay the cost for this. And so my general point is, as soon as you make a plan, you're going to create an unequal distribution of costs and benefits. And some people are going to be happy because they've got the benefits. Some people are going to be unhappy because they're left uh, holding the costs. And if you do not do something as a planner to address this, 
which traditional Indian planning does not do anything to address this, the people who are being asked to pay the cost are going to run up to politicians and say, listen, how can this be? Why am I paying the cost? And the politicians now are going to have to address this situation and you have given them a straight inroad into meddling with your plan. They're going to call you and say, my friend, what have you done? So and so is, uh, you know, this is my constituents here. When you, work, you put in a street here and, and my people are all losing and you're making benefits for so and so. I think your plan is terrible. You better change it. And so on and so forth. You can imagine how this whole thing then starts uh, getting more and more complicated. So you, you know, planners, if they do not address the problem of unequal distribution of costs and benefits, they are inviting politicians to meddle in their plans. It's as simple as that. If they were to adopt methods of making plans uh, that address this question of unequal distribution of costs and benefits, then you have sort of insulated the plan from political interference. Now that doesn't mean all politicians are not going to get involved. They, 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 they're going to be people who are going to want to fiddle with it, but you haven't given it to them on a platter. Uh, right. You know, they're going to be, you, you're going to have, but it's easier. As soon as you are seen as a person who is being unfair to some people, the politician has a, a, a sort of a straight highway into your plan. Says, listen, you're treating so-and-so unfairly. You know, how the hell can you expect me to sit by and look at these people? They're complaining this, that, and the other. But if you're able to say to the politician, ah, no, I'm not treating them unfairly. I'm being very fair. I'm compensating them. I'm, this is the way I'm taking away some of the benefits that these guys are getting, so on and so forth. If you're able to get into that conversation and say that I am actually addressing the question of unequal distribution of possibility, then you have a standing. Then you can, then you can converse with the politician in a in some meaningful way. And that, I believe, is the main thing. Does that make sense? And, and you should be able to sort of demonstrate how that happens on a, you know, on maps and numbers. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, you, you, you were yourself involved in one of the most complicated planning exercises that has been implemented, it was implemented super fast, Bala, you led the whole project. Of, uh, of, 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 of creating streets within the walled city of Bhuj, right? Yes. Uh, you know, after the earthquake, after the earthquake, all the buildings had fallen down, not all of them, 60% of the buildings had fallen down. Uh, you, you can say a bit about this, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. much better than I do. Yeah, so uh, this brings us to the town planning schemes and how they, uh, how that mechanism facilitates the fairness uh, that you're talking about, that making sure that uh, when you take away land for a public purpose, such as putting in a street, like we did in the uh, World City of Burj, then you're not, you're not just taking it away from one set of people and benefiting the others on the side, but that you uh, take, it, take it proportionally from everybody in that area and then you know, you readjust everybody's boundaries so that the cost of putting in that street is 
fairly distributed and the benefits are also fairly distributed. So, you know, can I uh, take that a little further? So, you know that I, after I moved out of Ahmedabad, I had been trying to promote the idea of uh, land pooling and land readjustment in other parts of India. And when I talk about town planning schemes, the first reaction I get is that it works in Gujarat because, you know, Gujaratis are born with an entrepreneurial mindset. It runs in their blood and, you know, and therefore they understand this whole thing. Uh, frankly, I think that it has a lot more to do with uh, how your plans are understood by the uh, stakeholders uh, that you're dealing with. And that depends a lot on how the planners are able to explain it to uh, to the stakeholders. Yeah, but before think? before we get there, let me let me just add to something you said earlier about the town planning scheme process. I mean, I th I think uh, people don't fully understand what that uh, 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 process is about. Uh, you see, most <laughs> traditional Indian planners they think that so far as they made a plan. Uh, that is in the public interest into inverted commas, uh, where, which is creating a lot of benefits for the people at large, it is okay for them to sacrifice the interests of a few people. Now, what do I mean by this? I mean, when you're, you know, when you're making a street or when you're making a park, you need land. And uh, what traditional Indian planning does is to, is to say, uh, listen, uh, I'm going to draw a park here, and whoever's land this happens to be is going to be compensated for uh, for 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 the for the for the land, and I'm going to take that land away in the public interest, and I'm going to turn it into a park and create a lot of public benefits. Now, uh, sounds sounds you know I'm going to compensate him sounds uh, okay on the face of it, but look at it from that landowner's point of view. Okay, that landowner is going to say, listen, I'm being paid money for my plot of land, and I. In some sense, now I had I, I had to walk away, leave my land here, and walk away from this land. And my neighbor, the guy next door to me, is going to end up with a plot of land right next to a park. Right. And my neighbor is going to continue holding his land, and his land is going to continue appreciating in value for the next decades to come. Okay. While I have been compensated at today's prices, my, my, my neighbor is going to continue enjoying the benefits of increases in land prices over a 10-year, 20-year period, and then can sell later on. And so I have been unfairly treated. So traditional Indian planning does not do anything about this. Planners just stand back and say, listen, you know, you, I, I, this is in the public interest. You have to give up your land. I'm going to use force. I'm going to use forceful acquisition in the, you know, and and, uh, and, and take your land away. And, and this is this is perhaps the most fundamental reason why most plans don't get implemented. Because these guys who feel unfairly treated are going to run to the politician. The politician is going to say, "This is not going to, this doesn't work. Why don't you move the park to another person's plot?" And so on, and so forth. It, it breeds corruption. It breeds. Uh, I mean, it just stops the plan. And Gujarat's town planning schemes, as you well know, um, uh, have a completely different approach to this. Uh, they, they, whenever a planner draws a, a street on a mosaic of plots, uh, uh, that uh, you know, no one person loses the land. Actually, everybody's plots are redrawn 
uh, and, and readjust it so that everybody loses a little bit of land, which is to be, you know, so everybody's contributing land to the making of the street. Everybody has to be adjusted, you know, everybody's land shape is adjusted and, and this works really well. Um, so as soon as people, and you're right, when, when people, you know, when, I, when we talk about this method to other states, they think that Gujaratis are, you know, as they say, uh, pragmatic people. Uh, uh, you know, they have a sense about money, and and, and uh, you know they are they are they are cooperative. They are not the kind of people who fight. But well, you lived in Gujarat, you know it doesn't work like that. Gujaratis <laughs> can fight as much as anybody else. Uh, it's it, the fact is that Gujaratis uh, are, are cooperative because the government uses this method. Uh, you know, if if the government used forceful acquisition, Gujarat also wouldn't work. Uh, you know, Gujarat, Gujaratis would also go uh, uh, against this. And there's a lot uh, so, of dialogue in the process. I mean, like... Absolutely. Here, you know, the planners see themselves as the people who are negotiating with private landowners uh, uh, to create public, um, public goods, public benefits, you know. So this is, this is a process where the government does not see itself as up and above high and mighty technocratic planners, uh, um, but uh, the planners see themselves as, 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 as facilitators, as coming together to create a common benefit and get everybody to, you know, that, that, to, to, to enable collective action uh, where none would have been possible without some inter intermediary. You know. So it's, it's a terrific uh, system. And, and all planners across the country have to learn how to use this method. There's nothing new in this. It's old. It's, it's been used in Gujarat for 100 years. It used to be used in Maharashtra for... For, for as long uh, till it got abandoned. So uh, that's that's the system to use. Uh, having done that, what's also very important, I mean, because it, it gets people, you, you know, planners go out there and they have to communicate with people, consult them, negotiate with them. Uh, planners have to learn how to talk with people. They have to, they have to understand that they will take their plan up there uh, there are lots of people there who have formal rights. Uh, you have to, you know, sort of present your plan to them. Uh, the plan has to, uh, you, you have to consult them about the plan. I mean, they're not making the plan. They don't know how to make the plan. So this whole word about, you know, first we, we must make a distinction between participation and consultation. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not one to believe that people have to be allowed to plan by themselves. That is sort of a, uh, some 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 radical uh, confused notion about democracy is that people will do the planning. People don't do the planning. You need experts. You need planners. Okay. The planners need to consult the people. Okay, and they need they need to make their plan in consultation with people. The people are not making the plan. The planners are making the plan, but in consultation with uh, with with people, they will meet all the stakeholders, seek objections, suggestions uh, from them. And, and perhaps a much better way than it is being done even today in Gujarat, because you, you know in Gujarat you make the plan first, then seek objection, suggestion. You you can ask for it a little bit earlier. Anyways, the the, the, the crux of it is that uh, planners have to start seeing planning not as a technocratic activity. Uh, you know where where you are some some technical analytical experts. Many planners like to see themselves that way. They think it gives them more prestige if they present themselves as technocrats. Uh, 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 you know, and and that is the undoing of them. 
uh, the, the, and the prestige all goes away when their plans are not implemented. Okay, even if you were to get it, uh, you know, even if you were to work with computers and models and data and, and, and generate plans uh, based on vast amounts of information and which are, you know, which sound very scientific and technical, uh, you make a plan that's not implemented, the next day you have lost your prestige. So we want prestige, please accept that planning is a political activity. The task of the planner is to make democracy work and to ensure that good politics prevails and that you become the people who negotiate with private interests, private sort of participants in the plan uh, to create public benefits. So that, that's really the crux of it. You've got, you've got, you've got to take, tackle politics head on, make that part of your process of planning. So that, that's really the key to it. I, I totally agree with you. What good is a plan that doesn't get implemented? I, I've been doing some work in Kerala, you know, uh, where the city master plans are prepared by the state government's town planning department and, quote-unquote, handed over to the local body to implement with whatever minuscule revenues and limited allocations from state government that they have. And surprise, surprise, nothing gets done. N they are now looking at how the master plan itself can incorporate some financial planning. You have been at the forefront of uh, helping Gujarat cities implement their development plans and other major urban projects. So can you give a glimpse of that process to our listeners of, of raising resources to get stuff done? Well, it's been my good fortune to be around at a time when a lot of these ideas uh, were sort of taking root and, and, and being present uh, at the time. I, I mean, you know, these are not new ideas. Uh, but basically, uh, I think planners, like they have to uh, accept the fact that dealing with politics that your plan generates is part of your job. They have to accept from within that, 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 that it's not somebody else's job to raise resources for implementing your plan. It's, part, it's, it's also your own job. Uh, your job as a planner to think of how your plan will help raise resources for its own implementation. So uh, stop thinking that it's, it's, it's not the planner's problem to raise resources. Stop relying on taxpayers' money. Stop saying that uh, I'll make the plan, I'll, I'll, I'll figure out what the expenses are going to be, somebody else is going to figure out uh, how to raise the money. It, it's both things are your problem. You have to figure out how to raise the money and how to do it. So I, you know, and, 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 and I, I was fortunate in, in starting uh, my work in planning just at the time that India got liberalized. And a lot of talk at that time was going on about, about, uh, about you know, and, and, and there were many agencies involved. You, you, you were there at that time when USAID was promoting the idea that cities have to, have, have to uh, um, make plans that, are, uh, that raise their own resources. In right. any case, one of the first projects that got in, countrywide, one of the first projects that got implemented was a tiny CG road project in Ahmedabad, uh, right. where we said, listen, uh, we are not going to use taxpayer money to do this street development. Uh, what we are going to do, and, and this wasn't my idea, this was, uh, you know, it just emerged out of the discussion at that time, there was a dynamic commissioner. And, and, and it emerged out of uh, Keshav Verma's uh, leadership at that time. And we said, listen, uh, 
the money for the street development is going to be taken as a loan from a local industrialist. So 2.5 or 2, 3 crores or something like that is what the local industrialist is going to give as a loan to the city. In lieu of that uh, loan amount, uh, that industrialist is going to get uh, advertising rights in the street. And then I don't think the municipal corporation or the commissioner had any idea what the what what the industrialist was going to do with those advertising rights, but what, what he went ahead and did was sell those advertising rights to an advertising company. These were advertising rights for seven years and sell them to an advertising company. And lo and behold, uh, here we had a situation where uh, uh, the street development was going to create value and uh, you know make it uh, profitable to do advertising on the street. Uh, and uh, that... Uh, that value was going to be unlocked to pay for the street development. So you had a self-financing project in place and you had, and, and you know, at that time, this was really one of the first projects. Uh, and I remember being called to Delhi all the way to, 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 to talk about this. Uh, in the Indian Institute of Management, did a case study on the CG Road experience. This was one of India's first self-financing infrastructure projects at the urban level, at least. Right. Uh, and, and you know there was at that time nobody was they were still still beginning to uh, after liberalization thinking of such a thing. Now that led to the next uh, sort of a big project in the city where uh, the whole Sabarmati Riverfront project was thought out. And that time I was now uh, more in charge of thinking of what the project would be. And we said we are going to create land, uh, reclaim land from the bed of the of of, of, of the river to create a public realm uh, on both sides of the, uh, of the river, uh, a sort of a sliver of land on both sides. And then most of this land, 85% actually would have parks, gardens, streets, et cetera, et cetera. But we would sell 15% of the land and that sale of 15% of land would pay for the entire development. Here, once again, you had a project that was completely self-financing, uh, or, or at least, uh, uh, you know, it's structured to be self-financing. Now, what that meant was you could go with such a project to a bank and say, please give us money. In that case, HDFC gave money, uh, not HDFC, HUDCO gave money uh, to do the project. And um, and so it is, it, you, you can borrow money and implement your project. And what it does, more importantly, is that it insulates the entire project from the normal politics of the city. Because you're not using taxpayer money. Now, now the corporators don't feel obliged to sort of get involved. Uh, this is a project that is bringing them uh, uh, prestige, uh, but it's not using any of their resources. It's, it's not taking money away from their constituents and putting it into the project. So here you have. And then Bala, we were both involved in the underwater development plan experience. Here was a statutory plan that we did for the Ahmedabad Urban Development Authority. Uh, it, it proposed lots of expenditure. The Ahmedabad Urban Development Authority had not a pie in its pocket at that time. Uh, Surendra Bhai Patel was leading Ahmedabad Urban Development Authority. He could have gone to the state government and says, give me money to implement the plan, but he was no such guy. He went and said, uh, you know, I am going to use the town planning scheme mechanism and various other ways of raising money and, and, and it's through that, that we are going to raise the resources to implement the plan. And this, I mean, you know, over, over a period of five, six years, uh, 
every proposal of the development plan was implemented. Streets were made, stormwater drainage was done, sewer lines were laid, parks and gardens were built, uh, you know, name it. All that money was raised out of, well, from the increases in land value that the plan was creating. So you had a self-financing development plan. So basically, planners sit, I mean, can create huge amounts of value. They do. If your plan is good, it will create value. The, you know, the CG Road created a, a street that attracted shoppers. Uh, the Savarmati Riverfront created a public realm in which lots of people, you know, parks, gardens, etc. And it created land on which you could which you could sell. Uh, the Amlabad development plan made, uh, you know, a grid of streets, infrastructure, you raised land values across the entire periphery of Amlabad. I mean, you're creating value. So, uh, 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 so that's, that's, that's really your job to unlock some of that value and bring it in for the implementation of your plan. But there's something, something you must keep in mind and I must, I must, state that as soon as you talk about unlocking some of the money uh, uh, you know bring using increases in land prices and bringing you know sort of unlocking that money and bringing it in uh, i think planners and this is a cautionary thing do not confuse the planners the tax man it's not, not we're not taking money away from landowners or land away from landowners to, to take away their unearned income or to redistribute income, uh, you know, this is not our job. That's the tax man's job. Uh, you know, yeah. if somebody has made a lot of profits, uh, redistribution is the job of the tax man. I mean, that's done through a legislative policy of how to redistribute income. In the a lot of leftist planners, you know, are, are so eager to use force at their hand to stop unearned sort of incomes of people, un speculation to, to, to sort of take away uh, money that uh, landowners are earning. Don't fall prey to that sort of uh, thing. And that's uh, something a cautionary tale. And secondly, sometimes you get over eager to take away so much money from, so much value from the one that you're creating that you leave nothing for the landowners. Once again, this will be a reason for your plan never being in. Uh, so don't try to take away, uh, you know, don't kill the goose that lays the golden egg, essentially. So, 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 so in short, it's the planner's task to create value and to unlock some of it for serving the public interest. And that's, that's sort of uh, uh, the main thing. I'd, I'd like one small clarification there. So when we do the town planning schemes, uh, we allocate some of that land for housing for economically and socially weaker sections of the population. So, and we also use it for public, other public purposes. But when we do this uh, EWS housing, aren't we redistributing in a sense? Uh, because you're taking land from the, the yes, largest, so you, yeah. You, yes, in, in some sense, uh, well, you could see that as, but I don't think we should see that as redistribution. We should see that as creating essential social amenities. Uh, there'll always be a portion of the of of the housing uh, demand uh, that will be impossible for the market to deliver profitably. I mean, so there will be a section of people 
uh, 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 you know, uh, who the market cannot profitably create housing for. Right. Uh, so that's sort of a market failure that you're addressing. And, okay. and, and you, you shouldn't do it because you want to make huge housing schemes and you want to serve as many people as you want. In fact, you try to minimize it. So, so you know, planner's job is to, is, to, is to interfere wherever there's a failure of the market, not to replace the market. And, and, and so you're not really doing redistribution, you're just addressing a sort of a market failure in my, in my view. Got it, that, that, that clarifies it. So um, to sum up today's discussion, to make implementable plans, planners need to, first of all, make their plans fair and equitable and sort of politically acceptable, and meaningful to everybody. The second thing you said, you know, planners need to learn how to talk to people, to communicate the content of plans, be willing to modify the plans in as a result of that communication. And the third thing is this last point we discussed uh, about uh, planners taking the responsibility to look at how to raise resources by creating value through their plans and then unlocking some of that for public purpose. That brings us to the end of this whole series of uh, discussions on making city planning work in India. So as a, as a sort of uh, closing thing, what would you like to say to our listeners about the entire like set of <laughs> I'd like to repeat what we started with. Uh, it's, you know, if, if, if India wants to use urbanization to uh, catapult its, itself, to the next level of development, uh, then it must make urban development work. And to make urban development work, you have to make city planning work. And to make city planning and urban design work in, in our country, we cannot keep doing planning in the way we have done in the past. We need a fundamental shift. We need a kind of paradigm shift. Uh, and, and we've been discussing over all these episodes uh, uh, what is involved in that paradigm shift, how, how we need to, how Indian planners and planning needs to deal uh, uh, more, if, I mean, need to, need to deal more effectively with uncertainty and unpredictability, don't make designs to planning. Second, they need to uh, work with markets, not against markets. Third, they really need to understand that India is a poor country and we got to make plans that keep affordability in mind. And finally, what we said, uh, you know, don't think of yourself as technocrats. Think of yourself as, as, as involved in a political activity. Uh, in a political activity, key to success is communications and stakeholder consultations and fairness. Fairness is, is, is absolutely fundamental. And, 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 and last of all, don't think that it's somebody else's uh, a task to pay for your plans. It's, it's your task to raise the money through your plans to make planning work. So I think that sort of covers most of what we've talked about. Thank you, Bimal. It, it's been an absolute pleasure to record these podcasts with you. It brought back wonderful memories of working with you on all these ideas that we discussed in the five episodes. And thank you very much, Bala. As you know, I, I, I too am, am full of all the memories of working uh, on various projects and developing these insights, which are as much yours as mine. Uh, it's, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. 
Dear listeners, with this episode, we conclude the series on making city planning work in India. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and take care.